helping hand for staff out of work. We honestly just wanted to do something to show our support. The community effort to assist employees of a Steveston staple destroyed by fire. A high-tech, high-stakes battle. Running low on time at the end, and we wanted to make sure they wouldn't get it either. Lower Mainland robotics students try maneuvering their way to the World Championships. Locked up long-term. You don't give up your cards on negotiation, right? <laughs> Canucks fans breathe a sigh of relief as Elias Pettersson re-signs with the team. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks so much for joining us. New attacks in Ukraine have left two children dead, adding to the human misery being suffered after two years of all-out war. Ukrainians here in Canada say the need to help is greater than ever. Julia Foy reports. I am so angry. There are a lot of anger. I just don't know what to do with this anger. Svitlana Kamenko was struggling with emotion in reaction to the latest bombing by Russia Friday in Odessa, Ukraine. In a video message on X, President Vladimir Zelensky memorialized the victims. The war is a choice. It's a choice of every single human being. We can do nothing, we can remain silent, or we can take an action. Kaminko took action in 2014 when Russians took Crimea by creating the Maple Hope Foundation to support Ukrainians in her home country. Ten years passed and we are still here and the need is even great because what Putin did two years ago, it's unimaginable. The entire nation is traumatized. On Sunday, the Maple Hope Foundation will hold a Decade of Hope fundraiser. One of the speakers will be Ukrainian Oksana Gurska, whose husband is a soldier who was captured and taken to Russia as a prisoner of war. Uh, together with other defenders, they were defending uh, the city of Mariupol for 86 days. Oksana asked us not to name her husband for fear he will be tortured in prison. Right now, over 8,000 of Ukrainians are in Russian captivity. And uh, they are all going through Little does every day. Oksana has written a book of stories and poetry called People from Steel. Money from this book will go towards support of children, Ukrainian children of prisoners of war, and for the prisoners of war and their rehabilitation when they return home. The fundraiser includes an auction featuring items brought to Canada from Ukraine. My message to everyone is please break the silence. Don't be silent. The foundation wants to remind the world that Ukraine is still under attack. Kaminko urges everyone to keep hope in your hearts. Ukraine is still alive and will be. And we will be victorious one day. But we need your help. Julia Foy, Global News. Surprise snowfall caught residents of northern Vancouver Island off guard this morning. Snow blanketed homes in the Comox Valley with up to five centimeters falling by the time the snow ended in the early afternoon, prompting Environment Canada to issue a snowfall warning for eastern Vancouver Island. Drivers were also being warned to be prepared for slippery conditions. With clear roads in the Union Bay area, but far worse conditions in Courtney, where between two and four centimeters of snow fell overnight and into this morning. RCMP are trying to figure out if bad weather and impaired driving played a role in a series of crashes that sent three people to hospital overnight north of Qualicum Beach. 
Police say a woman went off the road just before 3 this morning on Highway 19A and hit a pole. A man stopped to help, and as they were standing on the road, a third vehicle hit them. The man suffered serious, life-threatening injuries. Police say the driver of the third vehicle is being investigated for impaired driving. An iconic fixture in the Steveston neighborhood went up in flames earlier this year, leaving customers devastated and its workers' livelihoods destroyed. As Alyssa Tebow reports, the community has now come together to show support for the beloved grocer. It was a staple of the Steveston community. But on January 26, flames reduced the super grocer and pharmacy to rubble. This weekend, a local church put together a fundraiser. Trying to get the community together to come out and just uh, show support for um, Super Grocer, uh, for all of their employees that are out of work. Face and hand painting, a caricature artist and a silent auction with thousands of dollars worth of goods all donated by local companies. We just went out there and started uh, asking for stuff and the donations just kept coming in. I've done a few bidding and my son has put his name down for a few things too. The grocer wasn't the only business damaged by the fire. Waterline was about up to here throughout the entire perimeter, right? The restaurant next door, Steveston Seafood House, suffered major water and smoke damage. They had to take about three foot off, off the entire perimeter of the restaurant and into the kitchen. Um, and we need to completely take off the floors here. It's undergoing major renovations, but it's hoped the doors will reopen by May 1st. In the meantime, the restaurant is selling gift cards, both through the fundraiser and online. We, of course, had to lay off 25 staff members. Um, so they're selling gift cards and 50% of all gift card sales uh, for the near future are going directly to the staff. The fire started at 5 in the afternoon. Customers and staff were inside at the time, but thankfully no one was injured. When something like this happens to the community, it's quite devastating to everyone that lives here and to all of Richmond. If the community can bring in $10,000, that would be amazing. The cause is still under investigation. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. The future of a major biofuel facility on Semiamu First Nation land is in question. The facility is pitched as a pioneer of clean technology, diverting organic waste from landfills and incinerators and using bacteria to break down material to produce biogas. It was supported by a $14 million contribution from the federal government, but this week the Impact Assessment Agency revealed that Natural Resources Canada is no longer part of the project. We've reached out to Semiamu leaders and Natural Resources Canada for more information. 19 eagles have died at the Prince Rupert landfill after someone dumped a toxic substance. The city discovered a harmful liquid in a septic disposal area at the landfill. The chemical coated the bird's wings and they couldn't fly or save themselves. The appropriate authorities were notified and city staff began a cleanup hoping to mitigate the risk to the local environment and wildlife. The spill was contained to the pond, but despite removal efforts, the eagles died. An investigation to identify the substance is still ongoing. Just tragic reaction, right? right? Heartbrokenness uh, at, at these beautiful, beautiful birds um, coming to an end in that way. We'll find out. Was it you know, intentional? Was it purely accidental? We, we need to find out what the cause was. And, and uh, before we start, you know, looking for who to punish. 
The city says it's working closely with regulators to find ways to prevent this type of incident from happening again. Via Rail says no one was hurt after a passenger train hit debris, badly damaging the engine. Via says train number two, loaded with 121 passengers and crew, was on its way east from Vancouver. Around 6.15 yesterday evening, it hit debris on the track as it passed through Agassiz. None of the cars left the track, but the incident caused a fuel leak. The track is owned by CPKC and police are investigating. Passengers were loaded onto buses and transported back to Vancouver or onto Kamloops and Jasper. A terrifying ordeal for a snowmobiler in Revelstoke earlier this week when an avalanche came down burying him. As Victoria Famia reports, the situation could have ended in tragedy if it wasn't for the heroic actions of a trained avalanche professional who was at the right place at the right time. He's describing it as a day where all the stars aligned. Like, you get out of that without any injury, which is so lucky. Olivier Maillard, a guide and forecaster for Great Canadian Tours, had just finished up with a group when he noticed something in the snow on the hill, along with a group of people probing. I was a guiding group on the Boulder Mountain, which is a super famous spot in Rebel South. A lot of people go over there. Um, it was a high avalanche day, so we stunned conservative terrain all day. And uh, on my way back, I noticed a, a big fracture line uh, in Sugar Bowl. The group told Mayar their friend had been buried in an avalanche for 10 minutes. And being trained in avalanche conditions, Mayar took over. I was able to pinpoint the guy under the snow. They probe him. Uh, we shoveled him out. Um, he was buried. Right side up, uh, so when we reach him, we reach ahead right away, which is quite nice because that's what you want to do, like reach ahead as quick as possible. The snowmobiler was buried about a meter and a half deep and was barely breathing when he was pulled out. Right away, I noticed the guy was cyanosis and repel, so a lack of oxygen. Um, we took him out of the hole as quick as possible. The incident happened earlier in the week and now a special avalanche warning is in effect until the end of day Monday for parts of both Alberta and BC, including the Okanagan. We issued the warning because we know that snow conditions have been less than ideal this winter with records, uh, snowpack, low snowpack depths in many areas. Um, so this new snow and the great riding conditions that go with it, they're very inviting, but it's critical to be aware of the avalanche conditions. Avalanche Canada now warning backcountry users to be mindful of conditions and have proper avalanche training before heading out. Victoria Famia, Global News. If you're planning on traveling along Highway 97 between Kelowna and Summerland, you're going to want to check Drive BC first. The next planned closure of the highway at the site of a landslide that came down over the summer is tomorrow between 11 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. The closures are for blasting work to stabilize the slope. More delays can be expected outside of this time frame, but intermittent closures should only last between 10 and 15 minutes. The sights and sounds of robots took over BCIT today as high school students from across the Lower Mainland filled a gymnasium to put their robotic creations to the test and spur interest in science, technology, engineering and math. Paul Johnson reports. In the thick of the battle... Cooper Brosgall and Barry Hu load up their robot with tri-balls. 
while driver Alan Sun focuses on making Yabba Dubba do score points and prevent their opponents from doing the same. It went pretty well. We got uh, quite a bit of scoring across. This year's VEX Robotics Competition at BCIT saw 48 teams from high schools across the province compete for spots in the World Championships next month in Texas. Both robots continuing to score here. In this game, the robots score points by getting the tri balls into the nets and then demonstrating their prowess at climbing. While there's general rules about size and parts, the final design and capability of the machines is left to the ingenuity of the young engineers. We have six motors running the actual drive, so we can go really quick. We want to be able to outmaneuver all the other teams. There are people in this room that will go on to do amazing things. BCIT's Andrew Friesen is the tournament host and a one-time competitor in the contest, which led to a job as an instructor here. Yabba Dabba Doo's driver has this vision of one day building a humanoid robot that would run on AI. You can like go outside and play with your dog, walk your dog. I want to do engineering, like something similar to like uh, robotics. Whatever comes of those ambitions, on Saturday the boys of Team 886Y were a force to be reckoned with, winning both of the matches we watched and feeling pretty good about their prospects. Um, I hope that it's us, hopefully, but yeah. hopefully, but I'm not sure. At BCIT, Paul Johnson, Global News. Still to come, an unfortunate anniversary. It's been two years since a sinkhole opened in an East Vancouver park and still no repairs. And a rebrand for New Westminster, why the city is taking off its crown. Locals are frustrated as a sinkhole in Strathcona Park in Vancouver hits its two-year anniversary with seemingly nothing being done to fix it. Back in 2022, the park board closed the tennis court and adjacent pathways when the aging infrastructure caused a sinkhole. At the time, the board said a temporary fix was made and staff were looking into a more permanent solution. However, the Strathcona Residents Association says the board is yet to give a solid timeline for repairs. We're coming into spring um, and we'd really like to see this space be able to be used again. And, uh, you know, when it's something is promised in two months and then we're 18 months in, um, you know, this may seem like a small example, but it is a small example that illustrates the broader neglect of this neighborhood. Lewis says it's frustrating seeing other Vancouver parks get funding for improvements while Strathcona's infrastructure is decades old. She says the neighborhood is lacking green space and hopes the park can eventually become more community focused. The city of New Westminster is giving itself a makeover, losing a royal symbol in the process. Council voted 4-2 to two to update the city's logo and phase out the crown. The goal is to create a new logo which endorses collective city pride and is inclusive. Initial steps include consultation and community engagement, which will cost over $40,000. Removal of the previous logo will cost over $450,000, which is not sitting well with some councillors. I just don't believe, given uh, our uh, 8%, almost 8% tax increase this year and roughly 6% last year, 14% over two years. I just don't think it's a good use of city taxpayers' money at this time. The current city logo and branding was adapted in 2008. 
A small village west of Prince George has some big questions about its future. Fraser Lake is facing the closure of its only remaining sawmill. So the community came together for a town hall this week to discuss what the future looks like. We get the story from Adam Burles at CKPG News. January 22nd was the day that Fraser Lake found out they would be losing their sawmill, with West Fraser announcing that the sawmill would be closing in May 2024, affecting approximately 175 employees. Thursday's town hall gathered both local leaders and townsfolk to discuss how the village will move forward. We've taken the approach of where are we going? What does the community want to see? How can we move forward with or without industry? How can we encourage growth and development and business development or whatever there might be for us in the future. The mayor noted that the town hall was about wanting to hear what the community was feeling and what the community wanted to make known. We really wanted to hear what the community was was thinking and feeling because this isn't our first industry that we've lost. This is our second and this is our last. So it is important that the community gets together whether it's to mourn, to celebrate, to listen, all of those things are important. And members of the community did make their voices heard, whether it was putting forward ideas, expressing concerns, or just asking questions. I hate to see Fraser Lake die. Can you speak to what does that mean for our community in the here and now? In conversations with residents, the mayor says that there are some encouraging signs. People want to know do I still have a job? People are still thinking, am I going to transfer? Am I going to stay here? Am I going to retire here? And it sounds to me like a lot of people are thinking, well, we're going to retire here. We're going to stay. There's 55 out of 177 that are going to take the retirement package, it looks like. One of the frustrations for mayor and council is that they cannot move faster in bringing more economic opportunities to the village. You can only do so much so fast as a municipality, especially when you're small. It's capacity and staff, you know, that staff capacity is important. And then also finances, you need the money. And small municipalities can't find the money as easily as, as some. We don't have the ability to tax. Amidst uncertainty, local leaders say they are dedicated to making sure that they can provide opportunities for everyone in the village. In Fraser Lake, Adam Burles, CKPG News. A celebration of culture as the Niska Nation hosts its 19th annual New Year's Festival. The theme for the two-day event, also known as the Hubier, is Reclaiming Our Spirit. It was organized by the Niska Samix Vancouver Society at the PNE Forum. The festival is meant to be a celebration of the harvest moon and to mark the start of the season for ulikin harvesting. First Nations from across BC gathered to honour their culture with traditional foods and teachings. It's just reconnecting with uh, our culture and values. It's been growing as the years go on. It's getting to be a huge event. It takes about six months to get this uh, um, program going. Nearly a thousand dancers performed from 16 nations and more than 60 Indigenous artisans were also showcased selling their crafts to attendees. He went 19 years not able to speak until now. The young man from Kamloops hoping the communication method that gave him a voice will help other autistic non-speakers. And the U.S. military drops aid over Gaza for the first time since the Israel-Hamas war broke out amid hope for a ceasefire. 
As the war between Israel and Hamas nears the six-month mark, the first U.S. military aid airdrop has been launched into Gaza. Meanwhile, talks are expected to resume in Cairo Sunday, as many hope for a ceasefire before Ramadan. Abigail Beeman has the latest. Pictures from the first U.S. military aid drop. American officials said three planes sent more than 38,000 meals into southwestern Gaza. While on the ground Saturday, hundreds once again stormed this truck for bags of flour. The UN says a quarter of Gaza's population is on the brink of famine. And these people need to have not just food and water, the hospitals need equipment, they need specialized services, they need special machines. A UN team delivered medicine and met with the injured at Al-Shifa Hospital. The Hamas-run health ministry said 115 Palestinians waiting for aid were killed Thursday, blaming Israeli gunfire. Israel disputes those numbers and blamed most of the deaths on crowds that stampeded aid trucks. Others shot when they threatened soldiers. Canada is among the countries calling for an investigation. Meanwhile, negotiations are expected to resume in Cairo Sunday, with many hoping for a ceasefire before Ramadan, which starts March 10th. I'm hoping so. We're still working real hard at it. Not there yet. Israel has reportedly agreed to the framework of a six-week ceasefire and Hamas's release of hostages considered to be vulnerable, a U.S. official saying the ball is now in Hamas's court. We're praying for them and every step that we're taking. Thousands of Israelis marched to Jerusalem, ending a four-day march demanding the release of all hostages taken by Hamas in the October 7th attacks. Bringing them back home is the most important thing for the whole world, because this is the only human thing that can happen. The war now nearing the five-month point, with Israel pegging the number of hostages who remain in captivity at more than 130. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. Turning to news here at home, a major fire tore through a prominent potato chip plant in New Brunswick, destroying the building, leaving around 100 workers without jobs. Take a look at those towering flames. The fire broke out at Covered Bridge Potato Chips in the town of Waterville Friday evening. Nine fire departments responded, battling the blaze for over four hours, preventing the flames from spreading to three nearby propane tanks. One firefighter was taken to hospital and has since been released. None of the plant's employees were hurt. A young man with autism has become an advocate for a system called RPM, the Rapid Prompting Method. Luke Verhoof was not able to speak for 19 years, but tonight we're hearing him in his own words. We get the story from CFJC News. You got it. E and <coughs> D, awaited. We first told you of Luke Verhoof's story back in late December. Fast forward to February, and his rapid prompting method practitioner Madison Imber is in town to work with Luke. I was curious to find out how he felt about that first story. P O N S and I was elated by the response. M A I L the response was positive. Mom got a lot of emails. Oh, look, are you going to read her? Despite order? spending 19 years as a non-speaker, Verhoef is incredibly well-spoken. Before he connected with Madison, you'd have never known it. However, now that he's mastered RPM, he's been enjoying the opportunity to strengthen connections with those around him. The best part? My family getting to know T-H-E-R-E, yeah, 
A, the real M, my family getting to know the real me. Imber has been a certified provider of the rapid prompting method since 2019 and has worked with more than 50 students. For her, helping these students express their voices is incredibly rewarding. I'm just really, really passionate about what I do. Guys like Luke um, are why I do what I do. I've seen so many students go from feeling locked inside and misunderstood and frustrated to poets and published authors and advocates. And so it's such a, such a rewarding job. With Madison here, Luke has been able to go to the doctor and vision therapist and for the first time convey his experience and advocate for himself. He's also taking part in a study that utilizes a hollow gaze letter board and augmented reality technology to allow him to communicate independently. The work Luke does with Madison and the rapid prompting method has opened him up to the world as well as the world to Luke. Best thing, T-O-H-A-P-P-E-N-T-O. It is the single best thing to happen to me. Adam Donnelly, CFJC News. Well, nobody likes to pay them, but checked baggage fees have become a part of air travel. And now it turns out a couple of Canada's airlines are increasing their bag fees. Details coming up. The month of March usually brings the spring vibes with it, but parts of the province were hit with winter weather today. Let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Chow. Yvonne. Travis, a snowy start to our weekend with many areas seeing pockets of snow heavier at time locally for a few spots across the island, even getting up to five plus centimeters and areas in towards the interior. If you're traveling along the mountain passes will still be heavy at times, especially along the Kootenai Pass. A few photos to share. This one was captured in Coquitlam the early morning hours in Nanaimo with snowfall on the ground. This one captured by Ann and from Black Creek. So thank you so much, Kelly, for sending in that great photo as well. Now the plan as we get in overnight tonight, higher elevations, wet flurry are possible as we get in through the day tomorrow will still be a chance of showers with a few breaks in there and highs between four and up to five degrees we've had lots of instability and that'll continue especially as we take us in towards the day tomorrow the interior regions though it's been along the Kootenai Pass areas near the boundary as well as Slocan that have seen heavier snowfall that'll start to ease off as we get in towards this evening now temperature trend in the coming days as well it'll still be cooler into early next week some sunshine will be in the mix by Tuesday and then towards the latter half of the week and potentially leading in towards next weekend we'll start to see that increase in temperatures once again but some of our overnight lows for the beginning of the week will still be close to and hovering the freezing mark the northern half of the province continuing with the sunshine along the coast highs by the afternoon will be up to minus one very chilly though for the northeastern corners near the peace we've had the wind chill for the morning hours we'll see the risk of frostbite because it'll be feeling closer to minus 30s now across the central and southern half of the province the snowfall tapers off through the day today but still we're leaving in that chance for some flurries. The southeastern corners for Cranbrook, just up to the freezing mark. Whistler with some light snowfall. It's been great news for the local mountains. Areas across the island will still see the potential. Wet flurries, higher elevations. Victoria with highs by the afternoon up to 7. And we'll see a range between 4, extending up to 8 degrees for areas into the Fraser Valley. By Monday, should start to ease off as we get in through the day. But plan for some sunshine, especially as we look ahead towards both our Tuesday Wednesday, with highs closer to 8 degrees. Travis? All right, thanks, Yvonne. 
WestJet and Air Canada have announced a hike in the checked baggage fee. Air Canada is increasing it from $30 to $35 for the first bag and $50 for a second bag on flights within Canada, the U.S., Caribbean, Mexico and Central America. Meantime, WestJet has hiked prices from $60 to $65 for the first bag and $89 for the second. Experts say operating costs have soared in Canada, with airlines paying federal fees and taxes through ticket sales. The main problems are sort of uh, the cost to the airlines of operating. Uh, so we have still the government's collecting uh, ground rent fees that are passed on to uh, uh, passengers. Uh, the security tax is passed on to passengers. We have the sales taxes on top of these. Uh, the airports are not for profits, but some of them are among the most profitable companies in the country. And there's no sort of regulation or cap on their fees and their costs. Spring and summer travel plans are coming together at the Kelowna International Airport's Spring Travel Show. It's a great opportunity for us to uh, get the thoughts from our passengers, uh, from the traveling public locally. And uh, we're exchanging lots of ideas, lots of communication. This year's show was held at the KF Center for Excellence. Industries like airlines, hotels, and car rental companies set up booths, and experts were on hand to answer travel questions. Even though many of us have had to tighten our belts due to economic conditions, it seems people are still working out ways to take that dream vacation. We're getting older, so if we're going to do it, we've got to get it done. The pricing has gotten way higher on traveling, we've noticed. So you, you got to be way more careful what you're booking and where you're booking on. There's less flights and more money to go where you're wanting to go. So that's why we're here, to see what's going to come up in the future. It's estimated about 3,000 people turned out for today's show. Now, we know there's uh, someone on the Canucks who won't be traveling anywhere anytime soon. No, he's going to stick around here. He could probably buy vacations for everyone in <laughs> yeah, BC oh, yeah, for the no next while. Uh, Elias Pettersson uh, hit the jackpot today, but uh, Petey finally put pen to paper. Thank goodness. I think it's, uh, I mean, honestly, as every Canuck fan had this conversation, do you think Pettersson really wants to stay? It looks like he wants to go, but he did sign an eight-year deal, averages over uh, $11.6 million per season, highest uh, contract in Canuck franchise history, and everyone kind of looked relieved today. So we'll hear from Pedersen, we'll hear from GM uh, Patrick Alvine, and uh, kind of overshadowed the Whitecaps are on the field right now playing their season opener, tight game against Charlotte. We'll have highlights of that as well. All right, looking forward to it. Thank you, Barry. And coming up, they're hardworking dogs that help bring closure to families. After the break, a closer look at BC's search dog program, a critical part of missing person cases run completely by volunteers. The family of a missing Merritt man held a community walk Friday evening, marking one year since his disappearance. 24-year-old Miguel Mack was last seen on February 27, 2023. His disappearance triggered a massive search effort, but so far he's not been found. RCMP say his disappearance is now being investigated as a homicide. On Friday night, the community gathered to walk, sing and drum in solidarity with his family, who say despite the release, they are still holding out hope. It's a living nightmare, something I can't seem to wake up from. And I've been telling a lot of parents, mothers, just hold your children tight, never give up on them. You know, all we want is closure. 
we just want to bring him home. The investigation is ongoing. Anyone with information is asked to contact police. A volunteer search and rescue organization in Kamloops is expanding. The SRD Canines are volunteers who vow to keep the search going for missing people long after the trail has run cold. We get the story from CFJC News. Hey, good boy. There's some good endings and some not so good endings and some are still out there. According to Mike Ritzy, a retired paramedic who now heads up the search, recovery and detection canines of BC, a key component of many missing person search efforts is having people and trained canines like Ranger continue to look. Out to Revelstoke, Merritt and around Kamloops. As you know, Kamloops is pretty busy. So you can smell it, it's drifting, he's looking for it. Good boy, where is it? Ritzy and his dog Good Ranger boy. currently have around half a dozen long-term missing persons cases in the region on their search radar. Before going out to look in specific areas of interest, Ritzy and other volunteers will check in with the RCMP. They spend a lot of time in these investigations and that, and we'll come in after everybody's quit looking, and then we'll take our dogs in search areas, but we'll go wherever we can. The SRD canines have been operating out of a new facility in Kamloops, which provides more space for their equipment and instructing training courses. And right now we're putting together a, a class on human remains detection, and we hope to get a whole bunch of people involved. Right now we have four dogs, uh, four dog teams that are active, so we hope to double that coming up. All I need everyone to know is how much we miss our son. The Kamloops RCMP detachment has a designated missing persons coordinator who stays in touch with families, works with the serious crimes unit when investigative avenues start to run out and looks into tips. I think sometimes people think they might be thinking, yeah, there was something. It's always kind of sat in the back of my mind, but maybe too much time has gone by. That's not the case at all. I mean, it's important for families to get closure. And one of the ways that they can do that is by anybody who has any information to come forth. It's not too late. Ranger, yeah. Bringing closure to families yeah. one way or another is what motivates volunteers to keep combing the area for answers. Being able to help somebody gives you a feeling of satisfaction. And uh, no matter what the outcome, you're still helping somebody, you're giving them hope, if nothing else. Delana Nishaw, CFJC News. The Whitecaps home opener today at BC Place. Barry's got the latest in sports, including the major announcement from the Vancouver Canucks. EP40 isn't going anywhere. That's after the break. Well, so much for waiting until uh, the end of this season to talk business. That was uh, Elias Pettersson's grand plan, uh, apparently, the whole time. Yeah. He's, kind of, he's definitely had the last lap today. He was a pretty happy guy. All right, thanks, Travis. Elias Pettersson, well, hey, he's not the most outward personality, but in his body language and lack of comments all year about his contract, it led many to believe that Pettersson really didn't want to be in Vancouver anymore, but nothing could be further from the truth. Pettersson has signed the richest deal in Canuck franchise history, eight years, $92.8 million contract extension that kicks in next season. It's $11.6 million per year, and getting this done now gives everyone some peace of mind and certainly financial certainty. And for Pedersen, it appears relief that it's all over. I always wanted to stay here, but uh, you, uh, you don't give up your cards on negotiation, right? <laughs> well, I've, I mean, of course, I'm... I'm human, of course, I put pressure on me and know what's ahead, but I know what, what I was getting myself into and uh, 
and I know it's going to be a big decision. That's why I wanted to wait to make sure I make the right decision in for my for my life personally. And uh, I am super happy with that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm just super excited to be here. I would say that this is something that that actually started two years ago since I got in here, uh, building the the relationship with with Elias, um, showing him uh, the vision. Uh, and I fully respected him and his, his agency here for taking their time, uh, get to know us, get to know what Jim and I am all about, uh, get a feel for, for the team we're, we're trying to build here. And uh, uh, also the partnership with, uh, with Rick Talking. Um, exciting time for, for, for myself and the organization when Elias committed that that or hinted that that he wanted to stay here um i and and there were never any doubt that he never wanted to stay here uh from from my view of it and i think it was more about the trust and the vision that he wanted to see clear here and uh we respect that fully out what about the city itself is the reason why you want to be here uh i mean it's a city that believes hockey uh fans are very passionate um also, I think like it's very similar to Sweden in some way, and that's what I realized right away when I got over here. Uh, so uh, it always felt like home here, and always felt uh, peaceful living here. So, uh, so non-hockey-wise, I've always been happy living here. And Pedersen and the Canucks are in Anaheim tomorrow at 5 o'clock. The uh, Whitecaps kicked off their 50th anniversary season this afternoon at BC Place. It's their 14th MLS season opener, and they had to do it without head coach Vanny Sartini on the sidelines. Vanny sitting out the first of his six-game suspension from the playoffs last year when he lost it with the match referee. Assistant Michael D'Agostino running the show on the sidelines with Vanny watching in the stands. He saw Charlotte carry the play for the first 30 minutes. They got rewarded. Yuri Tavarish all alone makes no mistake. And it's 1-0 Charlotte. Well deserved. The Whitecaps came out kind of sleepy despite a huge crowd at BC Place. And uh, Charlotte back for more. But Takaoka kind of saves the game here with this stop off Enzo Capetti. Had they scored there, it would have been tough. But three first half saves for Takaoka, none bigger than that one. Despite being heavily outplayed, Caps score late first half stoppage time. Ryan Raposo just gets on the end of the Pedro Vito cross, dribbles across the line. The changeup kind of fooled the keeper, but the Caps will take it 1-1 at the half. White Caps were much better in the second half. Off the corner, Javane Brown gets a good piece of it, forces the Charlotte keeper to make a diving save to slap that away. Brown was shaken up on that play. Remains 1-1. Moments later, another glorious chance. Newcomer Fafa Pico, but his left footer turned away by Christian Kalina. Caps had a record home opener crowd of nearly 30,000. Over 29,000 at BC Place, but the best they could do, a 1-1 draw versus Charlotte in their opener. And Women's Gold Cup quarterfinals from Los Angeles, Canada versus Costa Rica. Canada just beat Costa Rica 3-0 in group play a few days ago. Had to work harder for it this time, but in extra time, 104th minute, Evelyn Viennes with the goal 1-0, and they're very late in that match, so if Canada wins, they'll go to the semis. Back to the NHL, Oilers and Kraken from Seattle. Zach Hyman hit the 40-goal plateau in his last game. Second period, no score until 
Connor McDavid to Leon Dreisaitl for his 30th. We may have seen this play before from these two. one nothing Edmonton. Then it's former Vancouver giant Brett Kulak. His long shot finds its way past Philip Grubauer. Just his third of the year, 2 nothing Edmonton. Seattle got one back and had glorious chances to tie it, but Stuart Skinner robs former Oiler Jordan Eberle in the final minutes. Edmonton wins 2-1. They jump past Vegas into second in the Pacific, nine points behind the Canucks with four games in hand. Rick Bonus and the Jets at Carolina. The Jets were down 3-0 after two, and that's a good Carolina team, but the Jets mount the furious rally. Former Canuck Nate Schmidt to Nino Niederreiter. It's 3-2, and the Jets weren't done. Josh Morrissey. We'll poke it to Mark Shifley and check out the quick hands on Shifley. Great deke. gets three goals in a four-minute span. This game is tied, and then with just over three minutes left, Kane's goalie Piotr Kochetkov gambles, but the Jets win the race to the puck, and Sean Monahan has a wide-open net, his seventh goal in seven games. Jets win 5-3. They're now first in the Central. Vancouver Warriors on the floor last night in lacrosse action, hosting Buffalo, the defending NLL champs. Warriors just two wins on the season, but they delivered a gutsy effort. Keegan Ball with one of three Warriors with hat tricks for Vancouver last night. They led 4-3 after one. Riley Lowen with the low ripper here from distance. Lowen and Kevin Crowley also had hat tricks. 9-5 Vancouver at the half. And then Kyle Killen will score from deep. Warriors built up a 13-9 lead, hung on to win it. 13-12 the final, a big win over Buffalo, much to the delight of their head coach, Kurt Miloski. We don't win games and we have crowds in here. I want the people to know that we wear it. We go home and we're upset, but you know, they're spending their hard-earned money, bringing family here um, and supporting us. And you know, where they could do a multitude of different things in Vancouver, but they're choosing to come and see us. So when we don't win, it's tough. It really is. So it was really nice for the fans to come out. I've never seen a crowd in Vancouver like that. I've been around for a long, long time. And uh, you know, they're energetic. They're jumping around. They're cheering. There's a little bit of a melee. They're loving it. You know, and then when we win, there's just smiles everywhere. So, you know, I can't thank the fans enough, I, you know, I hope they keep coming. Briar from Regina, opening game for BC's Catlin Schneider out of Victoria. They led Ontario in the 10th, but Ontario skipped Scott Howard. His dad is the great Glenn Howard, and he's got the family genes. How about that spectacular uh, triple takeout to score three and win at 7-5? So a tough loss for Catlin Schneider in his opener. BC's next game is tomorrow morning. Formula One season started in Bahrain early this morning under the lights there. Last year, Max Verstappen went from pole to taking the checkered flag. And uh, no surprise again today, Verstappen cruising to his 55th career F1 victory. Beat his teammate Sergio Perez by 23 seconds. Ferrari were third and fourth. Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. Canada's Lance Stroll was 10th, but no stopping Mad Max. 19 wins last year, picking up right where he left off. Canada West Women's Hockey Finalists just happened. UBC and Alberta Thunderbirds won game one and triple OT last night. A chance to clinch the title tonight. First period, UBC down a goal, but off the mad scramble. Ashton Thorpe will finally jam it in. And UBC celebrates the goal, 1-1 after one. Stayed that way until the third. Alberta, despite being badly outshot, get the game winner on the power play from Jaden Morden. 2-1 Pandas, so the third and deciding game tomorrow afternoon, 3 o'clock at UBC. Also tonight, the UBC men play game two versus Calgary. They lost their opener 5-2 last night, so they have to win to uh, win that first Canada West title in, what, 50, 
three years it's been now, 1971. So we'll have highlights of that yeah. at 11. Sounds good. Good luck to the men's uh, yeah. team. Thanks, Barry. Mm -hmm. And after the break, the last great race on earth. Stay with us. The last great race on earth got underway this morning in Anchorage. Thirty-five mushers set out to conquer the Iditarod. It was a balmy minus 18 as they raced through the streets of Alaska's largest city. They'll race more than 1,500 kilometers to Nome. Last year, the winner took the title after more than eight days of racing. Now that is a grind. The dogs love that, though, apparently, but it is, it's hard on them, too. But yeah, it's amazing oh, to watch. I'm sure they love it. I'm sure they're not cold at all. I'm <laughs> no. cold just watching that. Well, they got fur coats. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. That's Global News. That's the News Hour. Have a great night. We'll see you back here at 11.